0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number one twenty six of The Sleeper and the Bust ordinarily joining me would be jason collette everybody's favorite lackey but uh he's not able to make it tonight so uh instead we are more than delighted to have special guest Derek Cardi. he has worn many hats uh, around the fantasy industry including uh, former head of or former manager manager of fantasy content over at baseball prospectus and the hardball times um and uh, he's been into a lot of stuff recently and uh uh, including uh, Daily Fantasy Sports, and uh, Derek, just give us a, give us an opportunity to find out where we can uh, see your work.
1: Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me, first of all, and this year I'm doing a lot of stuff for Daily Fantasy Stuff over at Fantasy Insiders, writing a few times a week on their uh, TV show, and I'm putting together this uh, Daily Fantasy projection system that's taken into account like all the factors that could possibly be relevant on a daily basis who the opposing pitcher batter is the ballpark platoon splits who the umpire is the catcher like everything and i'm really excited about this thing we're going to be rolling it out in a couple weeks so that's what i've been up to this year
0: wow that sounds awesome that's it uh, sounds really cool actually uh, obviously we have a a growing bevy of readers who are into the daily fantasy stuff as well so that should be that'd be an exciting thing for them to look out for again thanks for joining us and uh we're going to get right into some topics here there's been a little bit of uh, a little bit of rosters juggling as we are uh, kind of used to at this point uh and uh orioles may, had to make a kind of a quick change in the rotation they they sent Miguel gonzalez to the disabled list and had to summon Kevin gaussman up from triple a and now Obviously, uh, the past couple of times that they've had to call him up for a last-minute start, he hasn't performed well. And we know that this is a, this guy's stuff is nasty. He's a top-notch prospect, but uh, is really kind of disappointed in his cameos. Different story yesterday against the Oakland Athletics. Totally dominated them for seven innings. Um, I mean, it's. It, Johan Santana is out of the picture now. Not that we expected that to be a big part of the picture, but uh, I mean, this is this is a rotation. It's a team that expects to contend. What are we looking at for from Gaussman for the rest of the season? Even though I mean, this is probably a short-term call-up with Gonzalez due back, and say in less than a couple of weeks or so. But uh, Gaussman is still a very talented pitcher. This has got to be a guy that fantasy owners have to keep on their radars for the rest of the season. Do you think?
1: Yeah, he's absolutely got to be on the radar. I mean, I mean, the major league sample that we're looking at could just be you know small sample size flukiness. It could be a young guy not quite knowing how to attack big league pitchers yet but you can't deny the stuff. The stuff is just phenomenal. He throws, you know, in the, the high 90s, really, like 97 with his fastball with good life. He's got a ridiculous, like, change-up splitter pitch, the sliders coming along. So, I mean, it's going to depend, you know, his mixed-league value on whether he can put it together at the big league level and how many starts they're going to give him. But he's definitely a guy you got to keep an eye on, especially when he's able to sit down an offense like the A's.
0: Yeah, I think that was... That was thoroughly impressive. I mean, I, I highly doubt there was anybody out uh, out there ready to stream this guy based on the situation, and that. And perhaps it's disappointing when you see the results, but um, I mean, just it shows you the kind of potential that he has, that he can absolutely baffle a lineup like that. And I mean, it's not like I mean there are a couple of pitchers who have, who have kind of been treading water at times for the Orioles. So I mean, there's it's there, whether these there's, things are... there's
1: definitely some opportunity for him to carve out a spot for himself. I feel like
0: yes, yeah, and I mean it, it might not happen until perhaps after the All Star break or something. But I feel like I feel like the Orioles came into the season with the idea that uh, this would be a pitcher who would help them more so in the second half than in the first half, and that that's kind of the way they were going to groom him. And the combination of that with you know Dylan Bundy returning, say, from Tommy John surgery and being at least an asset in the bullpen in the second half, I would think. I mean, I think that this is. This is kind of what they were they were working toward, but uh i mean I think that start was really encouraging
1: yeah, completely agree uh
0: coming into uh this week, it sounds like matt Latos I think he has to get through <clears throat> he has to uh he has to get through a a uh rehab start, his final one presumably as long as he gets through that without any difficulties, but if he does. Um, he will be he will be returning to the Reds' rotation, and he is in line to replace Tony Cingrani in the rotation. And I don't think folks would have expected that coming into the season that he would be the odd man out, especially uh, in lieu in lieu of uh, Alfredo Simone. However, that is the case, uh, and I mean that's obviously it's disappointing. This is a player that's you know fantasy owners spent say a middle round pick on or a few bucks on. Um, what does this do to your? To your ex- expectations or output? I mean, are, are you dropping this guy in a lot of leagues? Or what, you know, where, how are you, you going to treat this uh, uh, for the rest of the season or at least in the short term?
1: Well, for me, I didn't want any part of coming into the year. I didn't understand why people were spending so much for him. I mean, I, mean, I guess you can see the numbers and, be, and get excited about them. I mean, you know, 10 strikeouts per nine and whatever he was doing. But a guy who throws his fastball 85% of the time. I just wasn't ready to chalk up that kind of, you know, auction money or draft pick for. And this year he's kind of tried to make an adjustment because I guess he realized, you know, you can't throw an 80, you know, your fastball 85% of the time consistently and have success at the major league level long term. So he cut it down to like 70% this year, which is fine, but the problem is he can't throw any of his secondary pitches for strikes. I mean, they're and his walk rate is just, you know, skyrocketed and he's getting dinged. So I don't I don't really think singrani is a guy if you know assuming he does get moved to the bullpen I don't think he's a guy you need to, to hang on to in medium depth mixed leagues because I mean I don't think he's you know ready to really succeed as a major league starter right now not until he can improve his control his command
0: yeah I would have to agree with that I mean I think it's um, I owned him in, in a 12 team mixed league and and uh, I did I did draft him was not a guy I was targeting by any means and I was I kind of felt the same way you did as far as I I wasn't necessarily ready to jump in on him. I think, I mean, there are certainly pitchers who can succeed who throw the fastball so often. We see. I mean, Bartolo Colon is probably. I mean, it, but it's 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 the outlier types who do it. Um, and it's. I mean, Colon has it's hard. Colon has precision. He has precision command and for most of the time control. He didn't come in at the end of the season with that. But I mean, as you said, I mean, the fact that he's had trouble commanding. Uh, his other pitches, and is really to, to make anything else dangerous. I mean, there's nothing else. Uh, he's, he doesn't hit his spots I don't think consistently enough to make his fastball consistently dangerous enough, and that's... It, I mean, I, I would have to agree with that. I think it's... Uh,
1: yeah, and when you're missing your spots in Great American Ballpark, I mean, you're giving up some home runs like he has this year, and then you're giving up home runs with runners on base because you're walking guys, and it's just, it's just a recipe for disaster. I'm actually a little surprised the ERA isn't higher than it is right now.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent point. Excellent point. I think it's, I think it is, safe. I mean, it seems like with the kind of makeup and repertoire that he has, unless he really polishes uh, a couple of those pitches, I, I want to say that he was working extensively on this chain, uh, the changeup or, and or slider in spring training. And I think that that's, that was probably a bad sign yeah. that, that he had so much work to do on those pitches still. Uh, and so it's, I mean, it just long-term it looks like he could be a reliever unless he changes that around.
1: Yeah, he's got to make some changes before before I'm ready to trust him again in anything outside of, you know, deep NL only leagues.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then some unfortunate news for uh, the Rockies. Jordan Lyles had to head to the disabled list and and that's I mean, obviously he was having what you would consider a breakthrough season uh for a lot of reasons, but uh sidelined here for uh for up to a couple of months it looks like and uh the Rockies right away, they're going to go with a fellow named Christian Bergman uh, to replace him in the rotation. Um, I'm not sh- I don't I had never heard of this fellow, to be honest, quite uh, before I saw that he was named to the rotation. He's in mid 20s. He's a right hander uh, and doesn't have anything that knocks you out. But I don't really know a lot about him besides that. Uh, is this a guy that you're willing to touch and um, say in an NL only league?
1: Honestly, I didn't know very much about him either. I think in an NL-only league, you can speculate, especially if it's the kind of league where you can shuffle guys freely between the starting lineup and the uh, your reserve list, like playing him when he's on the road. Um, I mean, it looks like he's got good control, but I don't know a whole lot about him. And in Coors Field, he's not a guy I'm really, you know, excited about.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, the. It's interesting that they decided to go with this guy. I mean, he's, um, he's made 12 starts this year at the AAA level, and he's steadily worked his way up, and his numbers have you know, pretty much steadily improved the whole way up. And, and the control was really encouraging. Uh, but I think that it's just kind of uh, – I mean, they, they have a lot of depth. I mean, they, uh, I know that uh, Brett Anderson is a guy that they talked about expecting to get back by the end of July – uh, or is it, is maybe it is the end. So, I mean, this is not, he's not, he's, you know, he's still a ways off, but there's,
1: um, I got John Gray in the minors who I guess got leapfrogged here. Maybe they don't think he's ready yet, but, uh, he's definitely, I think going to be a factor in the second half for the Rockies.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Eddie Butler did not have a fantastic debut, but we've, we talked about him on the show already. We do think that he has a a lot of promise and there's no reason to think that he's a a short-term candidate to be booted here or anything like that. Uh, And it's, I I mean, I think that uh, Christian Friedrich, uh, Tyler Matzik, these are guys that might, they might want to give either another chance in the case of Friedrich or uh, Matzik is kind of, had, he's had some control and command issues uh, himself, but uh, is, is a top pick from a few years ago, and he's kind of champing chomp, at the bit, so it's not like this is necessarily the, the, the be-all, end-all fix for the Rockies. I mean, you're talking about a pitcher in the Rockies' rotation, um, and he has to show you some pretty special stuff the way either Lyles was or uh, the way Bet- we believe that Butler can uh, before he, I think you'd be interested, at least like you said, as a, as a potential matchup play.
1: Yeah, I think you kind of got to I'd like to get a look at him and see what kind of stuff he's working with, but I don't get the impression it's anything particularly impressive. So, I mean, it's, this could easily be a thing where he gets shelled a couple times and then they go with someone else.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, we, we talked about this uh, on, on our last podcast, uh, welcoming back to the, and in fact they did, the Baltimore Orioles welcomed back, uh, to the bullpen, Tommy Hunter activated today. I don't believe he pitched. Uh, there was no need to make an appearance in a game where they were absolutely shelled, um, and uh, it's a, it, I think the uh, final was in that one was 11 to one. Uh, so no opportunity to see him back in there or, or uh, think about how they might use him. Uh, I have not seen yet a comment on how they're going to have a have the bullpen arranged now that he's back. But we had already talked about the possibility that Zach Britton could hold on to this job. Uh, once Hunter had returned, and uh, I mean, so far, no indications, uh, do you have any thoughts on uh, what the uh, what the outlook for these guys is?
1: I don't know in the short term, I mean, but I don't see how Britton is really going to last in the long term as a closer, as a lefty, with basically, he's a two-pitch guy with a sinker slider, which are both huge platoon split pitches, so I mean, he his platoon split numbers aren't as extreme as you'd expect him to be based on what he throws. But I don't see how he's going to be able to get out righties consistently in the ninth inning to hold on to the job long-term. And Hunter, I just feel like, is a superior pitcher overall. You know, since his move to the bullpen, he's, like, rocking with the velocity. He's up to, like, 98. He's got good secondary pitches. He can attack lefties and righties. He's got good control. I like Hunter a lot better. It's going to be interesting to see, I think, how long it takes for the Orioles to, to give him his job back.
0: That's interesting because we we had talked about the possibility. We thought that Britain was, I mean, was a good candidate. And this is, I mean, but I think this is it's a great possibility for the debate. We thought that Britain was a candidate at least to remain in the in consideration because of uh, the fact that I mean, they've they've already had the history of using a ground ball, a sinker baller type, uh, who gets a steady ground balls, and that Britain has perform so well, but he, I mean, obviously he is, he's not going to continue to pitch with uh, an ERA under one for the entire season. So that's, I mean, and his velocity has jumped. That's really encouraging, but yeah, there's always a possibility I think that uh, that right hand hitters bite him back. I think that what was discouraging for me, if I was a a hunter owner uh, prior to this was that, I mean, he had had a number of rough uh, ninth inning appearances, even though he'd only blown like one or two saves uh, but just, I think, I mean, he's, I don't know that the platoon splits against him have, can, have uh, really dissipated now that he's gone to the bullpen. And I think that that's really, that. I guess that, that really concerns me. And maybe it ends up being a situation where they go by a committee, but it seems like Buck Schulwalter has always preferred to have a guy instead of uh, doing that kind of thing. So, uh, I mean, it's, maybe it, it turns out to be a muddy situation. Uh, I don't know, but I think that uh, the point you make about the, the platoon splits on the types of pitch that, pitches that Britain makes uh, are are, are Potentially quite valid. I think that that's going to be an interesting thing to watch and uh, I mean I guess uh, for those in, for those in mixed uh, mixed leagues who have are or, or in, involved in this situation, uh, perhaps you feel a little bit uh, nervous about how this shakes out.
1: Yeah, I think in mixed leagues, I mean I think they both need to be owned and you just kind of got to see how it goes. I mean we've seen lots of times in the past where even if you don't think a guy is particularly well suited to be a closer, I mean, if he's pitching well and he's converting saves, you know, the team's going to stick with him. So you definitely don't drop Britton, and you definitely have to pick up Hunter in case they do make the switch. But guessing who's going to, you know, ultimately wind up with the job and when is, you know, a little bit of a crapshoot.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, another another closer situation that is um, – it's not. it doesn't appear to be muddy in the least, uh, but Terry Francona chose to muddy it up just a tad – uh, when he i mean he he had already said this approximately a week ago, I want to say, and uh, since then he's kind of reiterated that uh, the the Indians's eventual goal is to return John Axford to the closer's role and, and it's uh, you know meanwhile Cody Allen comes in and saves i believe it's his fifth street uh, save had absolutely no problems today. I want to say he struck out the side uh, i mean he's he's kind of quickly gotten back into form it seems to be over the control problems that plagued him uh in the month of may very encouraging. Um, so I guess the question is, is how does this, I mean, I, I to me, this looks like a situation where, um, I mean, it's for, uh, eventually sure if you're a mixed league owner, uh, perhaps and, and, and Axford's sitting out there, you might want to hang on to this guy if you need saves, but, um, it, I, I, I find it hard to believe, I guess that, uh, that the Indians are going to find an easy way to get this uh, job back to Axford.
1: I kind of agree with you, and I'm very biased. I have Axford in a couple leagues. I have him on my NFBC team, and I'm hoping he gets the job back. But, I mean, Allen is a superior pitcher. Axford's definitely improved since he got, you know, removed from the role. He's not walking the world, at least, like he used to. Um, you know, and he's still striking a ton of guys out. So I still think he's a solid pitcher, but it's just it's going to be hard kind of, you know, for Terry Francona to be like, sorry, Cody Allen, you're out. Uh, so I don't know.
0: Yeah, we had talked it before about. Uh, I mean, if if Allen is and it's it seems only since since Francona made that initial announcement that Allen has only pitched better, and it's going to be really hard to justify a change. I mean, I think it, it smells like a situation to me uh, where um, as long as Axford continues to pitch okay, and if Allen stumbles maybe once or twice. It might not even take twice, um, but it's they kind of use it as an excuse to get Axford back in the role. But we we've seen, I mean, this is a pitcher who's given uh, back his closer's job on a number of occasions in the past two years. Um, that it just it seems like no matter what, Cody Allen is a pitcher you want to own for the rest of the season. Uh, and that's, I mean, I don't think there was any question about that in a lot, in deep leagues uh, just because of the, the potential. But uh, I mean, now in mixed leagues, there'd be no way. I'd it'd be really hard to. to to loosen my grip of of, of Allen, even in the shallow mixed leagues, because I think this, you know, at this point he's he's proven that he should be the guy there.
1: Yeah, even if Axford does get the job back, I mean, Allen would have to be considered, you know, one of the better setup men, you know, that could potentially pick up some saves down the line. So he'd be hard to drop unless you're in like a really shallow mixed league.
0: Absolutely. And uh, as far as. <laughs> the, it's it's interesting. Uh, the the Mets always seem to be making news uh, with uh, players losing roles, changing jobs, and things like that. It's a team that's just it really it just seems really uh, like they're having difficulty. I guess getting to the point at which you could call them on the cusp of contention. Uh, and they uh, this past weekend they optioned Travis Darno, who is I mean obviously considered one of their top prospects, has been one of the top catching prospects in, in baseball for a, a few years now. They had to option him to AAA Las Vegas. He's been hitting uh, v- uh, hitting very poorly, and this is basically a situation where they didn't want to damage his confidence, but at the same time, he was clearly had not really made any uh, steps toward development uh, had shown any progress since last season uh, with a 180, 271, 273 slash line this season. has been really disappointing for fantasy owners. Uh, is there is there any reason that you're, for instance, are you are you discouraged about him long term, uh, or something that maybe that you've seen in him uh, that uh, that uh, really kind of takes you you know takes you off the Darno bandwagon? Uh, do you think that he could even have uh, value again this season once they? I mean, obviously, eventually he's probably going to get a call up uh, because at Vegas eventually a guy is going to hit.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard to be down on him long term. I mean, he has really just been awful any time he's been in the majors, but there's a reason he was a top prospect. I mean, he he's going to go down, he's going to work on some stuff, and he's going to come back up, and he's going to be better than he was. I mean, it's not that uncommon that we see a young guy come up his first couple times in the majors and struggle and have to make adjustments. I mean, some guys are better at making those adjustments than others. Obviously, a lot of them are better at that than Darneau is. Um, but I think he's going to be able to do it eventually in the long term. I mean, I could see him coming up after the All-Star break and, you know, providing some solid value to dip deep mixed leaguers and NL-only players.
0: Yeah, I could certainly see that. I think it's I think what's interesting is that Darno has has walked a lot more frequent, well, at least uh, more frequently than he did in the minors. He has walked more frequently in the majors. Uh, he has a his, his swing frequency is—I mean, it's—I don't—it's roughly around league average, I'd say. Uh, but I mean, he's and his chase rate is really low. I mean, he—he he seems like a pretty disciplined hitter, uh, but perhaps a guy that's maybe not even very uh, not aggressive enough. Uh, and I mean, it's a bit, he has—I mean, we know he has some power. He has really yet to display that in the majors, uh, and that's kind of disappointing. And they—they they talked about
1: even in the minors, it hasn't even like of late his power really hasn't shown back up since his his surgery so but i mean i don't know Yeah, it's it's there it's there for him it's just he's got to find a way to tap into it i mean the, the underlying skills are there for him but he's i don't know it just seems like he's having trouble making good contact with the ball at the major league level and maybe even a little bit in the minors
0: yeah, it almost seems like he's just he's he's overwhelmed, I guess, in the sense. I mean, it's and they they talked about the possibility of that because, uh, in one article I read, the possibility of that because of uh, how much he's had to learn with handling a, a staff that's completely new to him, and how much turnover there's been in that staff, uh, mm-hmm. and how much he's focusing focused on uh, defensive preparation and things like that. And, and that's
1: the thing that's going to help him too, is because I do think he is a pretty solid defensive catcher. So. Even if his bat is lagging behind a little bit, I think that's going to afford him, you know, a little bit of rope from the Mets when he does get called back up.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that, uh, I mean, I still think that there's a possibility that he plays in mixed leagues the rest of this year. But, uh, I mean, at, at the same time, for instance, if I was in a 12-team mixed league and someone dumped him and the, and the Mets called him back up, unless I unless I'd seen something different and he talked about something different I think I wouldn't be in a rush to pick him back up anything I mean anything deeper than that I mean is the guy who's going to get the majority bigger. player in time and he's, he's a guy you have to be interested in but um, and, and who knows maybe uh, Derek will be telling you that he'll be a great pickup uh, in in your, in your daily league that day
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely guys like that are the best when they come back up he's going to be super cheap if he's made some adjustments at AAA and he's in a good matchup. I'll be all over him.
0: Very nice, very nice. And just briefly wanted to touch on this. Uh, that obviously, the Tigers have been looking for uh, a solution at shortstop for the better part of three three months or so. And, and um, obviously, they missed out on the opportunity to assign Stephen Drew. And now the latest is uh, Eugenio Suarez, as a fellow they just caught up. And, uh, I mean, he's a, if I'm not mistaken, he's a pretty light-hitting shortstop, uh, and, which is kind of... Par for the course for the op- options that they've had in the positions. Is there any reason that uh, anybody should be interested in this guy in AL-only leagues? Because I highly doubt it's uh, there's going to be any mixed league interest.
1: I don't think there's mixed league interest. I mean, he hit six home runs in limited at bats at Double A this year, but really, well, everything I've heard about him is that he is much more of a glove guy than a bat guy. So I don't think he warrants any kind of consideration in mixed leagues in AL-only leagues. I mean, he's going to be worth picking up just because anyone who's getting you know semi regular at bats is worth owning in a league that deep, and you know maybe he'll you know swipe a couple bags, maybe knock a couple over the fence, um, but he's not someone that that you really should be excited about owning. He's a guy you're going to pick up and plug in where you have you know an empty hole in a nail only league.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I mean he's <clears throat> he does have he does have a little pop and a little speed. It's like uh, I mean he's and. There's, I mean, there's certainly, in that in that very deep league, that AL league, there's certainly reason to be if this guy's going to get the playing time. He seems to have, if I recall from when I was doing projections in the preseason, I mean, this is not a guy I had to spend a lot of time on, um, but uh, he seemed like the guy with the most upside, I guess, at the position. And it's not saying a lot, because when you're talking about the options at the time, we're say <laughs> Andrew Romine and... Um, I can't remember the other fella who was kind of in the in the same class as Suarez, and then uh, they had traded for Alex Gonzalez, and that kind of threw everybody off. And no, but, but I mean, obviously, that that turned out to be a disaster, as we all probably expected. Um, so I think I, this this guy looks like he has the most offensive potential of any of the players that they're going to plug in there. Um, it just I
1: would I would agree with that. Although, don't take that to mean that this guy is going to be a good hitter. Exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Yes. So there's some, you know, there's some appeal there for folks who need a warm body in an AO only league. And uh, just kind of that was a good way to segue into some things that are taking place here over the weekend. And number one, the biggest I mean, this this turned out to be a total shock to me. I, I would not have expected that uh, the Minnesota Twins were even involved in the conversation uh, to get Kendrick, Kendris Morales. But it turns out that that's who has signed him. Um, and it's uh, they designated Jason Kubel for assignment in order to and have immediately added morales to the roster he was available off the bench today um, I mean obviously this is a guy that folks want to own in fancy leagues even in mixed leagues Pro- i mean even in twelve team mixed leagues not necessarily somebody you wanted to throw in your lineup right away but uh, it surprising move uh, how do you see how do you see Minnesota deploying him yourself and 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 is this a guy that uh, i mean what kind of offensive production do you think he can provide for the rest of the season uh, based? On, I mean, is, are we looking at something prorated from like what he did last year? Um, is just, uh, to me, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting situation more so about what it says about the rest of uh, Minnesota's roster.
1: Honestly, I think this is like, I, I mean, I was as surprised as you were that Minnesota picked him up, but I think he's a good addition. I think they have like a really sneaky, good offense now. Like, Minnesota they, they've had Joe Maurer who's awesome they just got Willingham and Arcia back from the DL Dozier's kind of proven that he's legit Ploof is having a bit of a breakout year Pinto's a solid guy although they don't play him that much um, and you throw Kendris in there and this is an offense that I think people are going to under undervalue and I think Kendris himself I mean he's a good player he can hit for a solid batting average he's got good power target field isn't the best for it but it's not like he's ever really played in a good hitters park he's played in safe co and in anaheim so i think morales is a great pickup and in, in you know even 12 team mixed leagues i think he's going to be fine maybe out of the gate you want to be a little cautious because he's not you know going to get some minor league at bats and he's going to jump right with the team but i think he's a really good player and he's a guy that you need to you know consider putting a pretty big bet on
0: yeah, it's an excellent point. I think uh, what I'm most concerned about, I mean, is how the Twins before they were willing to play Jasmil Pinto at DH some, uh, and Kurt Suzuki has hit well enough that they don't have to consider phasing in Pinto right now, anytime soon, I guess. And I I mean, I don't think anybody is necessarily expected that to continue, but I've, I mean, I've certainly, I've received some comments on my occasional pans of Suzuki and blogs and things like that. I mean, I it's... It's not unheard of if Suzuki ends up hitting 275. Uh, I mean, that's sure that's a possibility, but um, given the kind of hitter he had developed into in the past few seasons, I don't think the expectation is um, is really there uh, or justifiable. Uh, I think it's even though he's, I mean he's made some changes, he continues to be even more patient and make a lot more contact, but. Uh, does is this? Uh, I think it's a possibility that they send Pinto down. Uh, this is kind of his, uh, yeah, his his final minor league uh, tune-up, I guess. You know, they probably send him down for a couple of months and call him up sometime, you know, say in August, and let him ride out the rest of the season. And I think that that, that might hurt a little bit. Uh, and I know there's some mixed league owners who've been who've uh, benefited greatly from uh, the fact that uh, it, there was some real doubt about where he was going to start on the. Uh, uh, start you know which team he's going to start with entering the season. So, uh, but uh, I mean, where does where this? Do you, do you see this uh, leaving Pinto owners in kind of a bind?
1: I I really think it does. I mean, they've kind of been playing him you know less and less lately. He's getting fewer at bats at the DH spot now that Willingham and Arcia are back, and they're really sticking with Suzuki behind the plate. I think in part because he's you know hitting better than he has in a long time. And I'm buying it to some extent. I don't think he's this 230 hitter that he was the past couple of years anymore. But I don't think he's a 300 hitter either. He's probably like 250, 260. And Pinto definitely has the higher upside. He's got a lot more power. Um, but I do think he's going to be sent down for a little while. And there just seems to be this impression of Kurt Suzuki, that he's like this great like defensive catcher, like veteran presence kind of guy. So when you combine that with like this unexpected offensive production... I have a hard time seeing Minnesota stray away from him, at least for right now, at least until, you know, his bat regresses a little bit.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, as far as his reputation almost seems to exceed his ability behind the plate, I think at this point, not that he's, I mean, Absolutely. he's not bad. He's not bad. He's certainly not. He's
1: not bad, but I don't think he's not good either defensively. I think he, it's what you said. His reputation exceeds what he's actually capable of doing.
0: Right. And and Ron Gardenhire seems to have, he's always seemed to kind of had some deference to guys like that. Um, uh-huh. As, long, as long as they can, as long <laughs> as they can kind of what he do, what he perceives as pull their weight uh, in that re- regard, then he you know these guys are great to him. And uh, I mean, it's a guy who can hit he can hit 275 with a 25 ISO, and that's that's great to Ron Gardenhire. I mean, I mean, I, I can understand. I mean, I don't.
1: Suzuki over Pinto is a very Ron Gardenhire move. I yes. mean it's just like. Yeah, that's what it is.
0: But it's, I mean, I think at this point, if, if Minnesota is also saying that they are not confident in, in Pinto's ability to adapt. I mean, we've seen not that, uh, totally different situation in the sense of how they, uh, these two players were brought along. Maybe that says something. But uh, uh, you look at the Darno situation, for instance. Um, There's a player who obviously is adept defensively, um, but that wasn't enough to keep him to keep him in the majors because he had struggled to hit and that's not really been a responsibility that Pinto has had to deal with and they have doubts about his ability to do that yet or if he's ready and so maybe this gives him another opportunity to kind of add to that they've, they've been I knew he had improved his defense last year and as long as he can you know play defense that's acceptable uh, relative to Suzuki I mean he's going to get that opportunity but uh, you know maybe that says um, that uh, the way that they brought these two guys along uh, I mean I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say one way or the other. I'm not gonna condemn the Mets for the way they brought up Darno by any means, because I I totally understand. I mean, he's he was on a steady development path, and there was hardly any reason to second guess that, as far as I know. But uh, Pinto has not had the defensive responsibilities really, so that that could certainly factor into it.
1: Yeah, I think he goes down. He makes some adjustments, and I think he'll be fine who
0: has not been fine lately has been uh, Max Scherzer picked up a victory in his last outing i think he uh, gave up like four runs and four and runs in six innings but he's been kind of off and obviously to some degree uh the entire almost the entire uh, Tigers rotation has been a little bit under fire for the way they've kind of performed but uh, I mean Scherzer i think in particular might be a guy that's a little surprising given that uh uh, he had came. He had come into the season basically picking up where he left off last year, and um, you know, what basically it, it, we, the the question becomes is uh, what is what is plaguing Scherzer specifically, or is there anything plaguing the Tigers in general? Um, I mean, Verlander it could be a di- totally different story. I mean, clearly his workload has gotten away from him. It's a possibility that Scherzer is also with Scherzer is also the same.
1: Yeah. I'm not overly concerned with Scherzer. I mean, it could be, you know, a workload and him wearing down a little bit. But you, you look at, you know, what he's throwing. His velocity is staying steady. It's actually, you know, up slightly in his last couple starts. You know, his peripherals are pretty much in line with what you'd expect him to do. He's not walking a ton of guys where, you know, maybe there's an injury and he's not, you know, controlling his pitches as well. He's striking out his guys, and it just looks like, you know, just a lot of hits are falling in for him. Um, and really we're looking at four bad starts, four bad starts in a row, which isn't necessarily a good sign, but I don't think it's something that you need to, you know, you know, go crazy over at this point.
0: Yeah, I would tend to agree. I mean, I think, um, despite the fact I, I've seen some speculation about how, I mean, this is in general, it's a t- the Tigers have been deep into the postseason uh, for the last few years, uh, a, a number of occasions, obviously, uh, they went, you know, deep into the, they went to the alcs last year it's a team that in general has ridden the same pretty much the same guys in its rotation for the last few years and deep into it and i think that that probably helps to explain a lot with verlander but i'm i would guess a little less so for scherzer because it's a guy that they didn't ride quite as hard they didn't let him go as deep Mm -hmm. um until until last season when he really kind of broke through and so i think I, I'm inclined to think that this is a lot less has to do with any kind of, I mean, you know, at the same time, we could have predicted that there were going to be a little bit of corrections uh, to what Scherzer did last season. And, and maybe we're just seeing a little bit of that here, but uh, I haven't seen anything. And I think that, as you said, I mean, the, the, the rising velocity in the last few starts, that's really encouraging. Cause I think, um, I mean, it just, it's, it says that there's nothing, there's nothing here overarching the physical or anything like that. It's just, just could be a, a bad stretch, and uh, I mean you have to live with that. So,
1: yeah, sometimes these kind of things really are—they're just you know they're random variants, they're fluky. I mean, we're, you can look for a reason for it, but I don't really see anything that sticks out. You know, any red flags. So, if you can buy shares that are a little bit low right now, I I don't have a problem with it.
0: Yes, I would. I think that's a, that's an excellent recommendation. Uh, and, and here's a, I think this is an interesting situation in Arizona. Um, the the just be, uh, Arizona needs some roster depth. Um, they called up D.D. Gregorius. Uh, he's hit, I think, a couple of home runs since he's been called up, and they played him at second base today. Um, Chris Owings has certainly not disappointed. I mean, he's played well. Do you see? Uh, do you see the potential here for anything to play out where this is? I mean, this is obviously a player. One of the two players, or specifically Gregorius, Arizona has wanted to trade him. You think there's some possibility here that uh, this is, this has some kind of effect, uh, just doing uh, the way one or the other performs, or does somebody here lose out?
1: I think it's going to be hard because they're both hitting pretty well right now, and it, you know uh, Kirk Gibson is ch- kind of trying to get them both in the lineup. He plays Gregorius, but you know that comes at the expense of Hill, so it's really hard to see what they're going to do. I think you kind of have to give the edge to Owings because he is the better hitter and the better player overall. Um, but at the same time, if Arizona is, you know, wanting to trade Gregorius, they're going to want to showcase him a little bit ahead of the deadlines. So it's hard to predict how this is going to shake out. There's just there's not enough bats to, at bats to go around.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, that's an excellent point. And I think that's probably what concerns me is the fact that this is a guy they want to trade. And um, so they want to give him the opportunity to play. And then and, and so does this hurt? Uh, Aaron Hill and uh, and Martin Prado and players like that because these are not and these are not necessarily these are not uh, players who are making up the fulcrum of your fantasy team but if they're playing a couple you know one or two fewer games a week and you're in a weekly league or a league in a weekly lineup that's going to hurt in the long run and uh, at least for a couple of months And, and I think that that's the, I think the situation becomes a little more complicated, say when Mark Trumbo returns. So
1: that's what I was just gonna say. I'm almost a little surprised with Trumbo and Pollock out that they, there hasn't even been any like whispers, at least that I've heard, of like Gregorius, you know, picking up an outfield glove and going out and you know potentially getting some at bats out there.
0: Yeah, that would be an interesting that would be an interesting transition, and I th- But that probably plays into the fact that uh, I mean they're not necessarily doing it uh, to get his bat in the lineup. It's more uh, they don't want to take away from the fact that he is ultimately a middle infielder, specifically a shortstop, and that's probably what makes him most valuable to t- to other teams. So that's I mean I think that that's it's it's an interesting situation. I mean I, I got I mean I think this could all be I mean it could all be nothing. I think there's, you know there's always a possibility that as soon as they need to make another roster move. Um, that they that they option Gregorius and, and, and don't create this issue. But uh, they, at the very least, have given a little bit of a, a, a taste to other teams that might be needing a player position. say, Detroit. Although, does he really offer much more than Eugenio Suarez? I guess maybe he has shown it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think Gregorius offers more upside than him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't think he's... People really seem split on Didi, and they have since you know, the D-backs traded Trevor Bauer for him. I'm a little bit more cautious about him than other people seem to be, but I think there are some things to like about his swing and, and about his offensive upside, and, he's, you know, he's a solid defender too. So I think he'll wind up being, you know, maybe a second-division starter at some point, maybe with the Tigers or with someone else.
0: That's fair enough, and and therefore uh, those of you in the leagues should root against Eugenio Suarez, especially if you don't win him in FAB. That'd be that would be an interesting that would be an interesting trade I think and uh, an interesting an interesting pickup I think in AOL only leagues for sure uh, some players we have hitting the disabled list uh, include Garrett Cole this is yeah I saw this run across the bottom line yesterday and I immediately thought oh no like this is this just figures I hope this is I mean I'm not a Garrett Cole owner this year I thought he was a little overvalued coming in this season uh, but and he's you know he's had some rough starts here and there kind of alternated them. Um, but we've, we still seen the potential. I mean, the, the strikeout rate is fantastic. Um, is this, is, are you concerned about this, um, going forward? Uh, it sounds like he thinks it's not a big deal.
1: Yeah. He doesn't seem to think it's a big deal. The pirates, you know, don't seem to think it's a big deal. It's always concerning when a young pitcher has an arm injury, especially a shoulder or, you know, an elbow injury, like whole like shoulder one. But, um, I'm not overly concerned. I like a lot of what I see of him this year. I don't think the strikeout rate is ever going to be elite because, you know, he relies on a sinker ball as his primary fastball. Um, but he's going to get tons of ground balls. He's got solid control. He's going to strike guys out because he does have some good secondary pitches. And I think I think he's going to be okay. He's not a guy I'm, I'm pushing the panic button on right now. I mean, he the Pirates don't seem to think this is a big deal, so I'm going with that for now.
0: Yeah, that sounds fair. I think, and I think um, this, it was interesting. I read uh, that uh, that the Pirates' manager. Why do I always forget these names? I always blank on these names. Uh, anyway, the Pirates' manager. Uh, oh, I almost had it. Anyway, the Pirates' Clint ma- Hurdle, right? yes, that's it. That is it. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was going to bother me to the point where I probably would have continued to to say things like, "Oh, I almost had it." But anyway, Clint Hurdle. He was stating. I mean, he's. He's become. I mean, to me, he's a, he's a kind of a progressive manager. He's really bought into. I mean, Pittsburgh gives him a lot of data. He doesn't. It's not necessarily something he knows how to interpret. But, I mean, he you know you see you see that he's willing to listen on the things like that, and he's – you know. He acknowledged he's like the signs lately. They just weren't very encouraging based on what we had seen from him last year in terms of pitch per inning and other metrics like uh, I'm sorry, pitch, pitches per innings, uh, walk rate, things like that that we look at. And and uh, once the player confirms that to us, uh, it was just a situation that we wanted to get out ahead front, uh, get out in front of. And I think that that's really encouraging from the perspective. Of, I mean, you know, they're taking they're trying to take all aspects into consideration and that includes the, you know the physical side, the data side. Uh, and you know, pretty much anything else, and just uh, they talk it out with the player, and it sounds like it's a situation that. Uh, and, and I noticed just in, in the last couple of few starts that Cole's velocity was down in the later innings, and that's something that they talked about. Uh, it just sounds like it's a situation that where they're avoiding the possibility of the development of an injury or compensation or something like that, as opposed to this actually being an, an injury. Yeah, more so a cautionary thing, yeah. Yeah, so I think that that's uh, I think co-owners should not be the least bit worried it sucks that you're going to have to miss a couple of starts but this could actually play out well for him in the long run so uh uh suck it up
1: it's better that they kind of identify it now than keep putting him out there when potentially he's damaging his arm if he is tiring like that and then having him get hurt and be done for the year or something like that yeah
0: absolutely absolutely uh, Jordan Lyles again also to the disabled list. He's a fracture in his non-pitching hand, uh, and this is disappoint- I mean, this is not necessarily a huge mixed league own, but really has been an, uh we kind of consider it an overachiever. This is a guy I blogged on earlier in the season. I think this is actually I think a pitcher who could have kept this up for the most part and at least finished with a sub forty array. Um, but uh, this is kind of a blow. Is this uh, is we we've already talked about the situation there. Is there anything uh, that uh, you'd like to you'd like to add on Lyles's outlook? And do you think that this is I mean is is, is this a pitcher you believe in?
1: Yeah, I own Lyles in an NL only league, and I do um, believe in him to a large extent. I think moving to the National League was a big help. Coors Field is not, so I mean, if you're using him in deep mixed leagues, you kind of got to pick your spots with him. But I think he's a he's a solid pitcher. I mean, he's he gets a lot of ground balls. He's not going to overwhelm you with his stuff. He doesn't have pinpoint command, but he does enough to get the job done in deeper leagues.
0: He does, he does, and I think I mean it's what what I noticed um, that was most interesting to me coming uh, well from this season was that I mean he really seemed to be willing to throw. He has a he has an interesting mix of pitches, and he seemed to be uh, I mean he. He doesn't throw his curveball, for instance, quite as often in Colorado. and It's understandable. It's not going to get quite the same kind of bite, but the sinker and stuff like that that he relies on, uh, it's just I, I think he's willing to throw. I think it's, it's to the point where he's confident in all his pitches and he's, he's been willing to, judging from the percentages and uh, usage uh, statistics and things like that, he's willing to throw them in pretty much any count. Uh, and that was clearly not the case, I could tell, from the data in previous seasons in Houston. And I think that that's... Uh, I mean, he's, he's talked a lot about the confidence that he's displayed this season. So, uh, I mean, I think that uh, when, when you have those kind of things match up, I think it's a really encouraging development for the player. One final blow to the, I'm, I'm really kind of hoping this is the last time we talk about uh, an injury to the Texas Rangers, just because I'm pretty sure that they're not going to, I mean, at this rate, they're going to finish with uh, like all triple A roster. Mitch, (laughs) Mitch Moreland has to have ankle surgery. He's supposed to be out for at least three months. Uh, so it's a good possibility this is a season injury, injury but uh, it's obviously it's not written in stone. There's a you know, definitely a good chance that he also can, he will return in September. But at this point, uh, do you see any beneficiaries at playing time here that uh, that interests you?
1: Not necessarily that interests me. I mean, obviously there's going to be some beneficiaries, but I right now I'm not seeing anyone that I'm you know overly excited about. I mean maybe Michael Choice picks up some extra bats or uh, I don't know. No one that I'm really excited about. I, I love Moreland. I'm like devastated to see him go down. I know he's not having a good year, but he's been my guy for years now. <laughs> I think he he's a good hitter. He's got twenty five home run power. He's got big platoon splits, sure. But you know, they go in the right direction. And I think he's a good hitter and I'm really I'm sad to see him go down.
0: Yeah, it is it's that is definitely disappointing. Um I am I'm shocked to hear that Donnie Murphy, for instance, playing some first base is not suddenly going to make you run to the waiver wire. <laughs> I, I think. Uh, I mean, it's I don't know. I don't know how soon, for instance, that a uh, that a, um, a Kevin Kuzminoff returns. I mean, he had some kind of back surgery. And he was supposed to be out for a good three months, and uh, I mean, maybe he it ends up being an option for them. I don't know. I mean, but uh, you know, Derek Holland does not play first base, uh, so I think. I mean, there's it. Just I think. Given the way that this had developed, I, I, I think um, it makes me wonder uh, the fact that they, I don't know if it was just that they didn't reach out or did not pursue him enough or in the end just had, uh, just uh, you know, just their offer didn't quite match up to Minnesota's. But it just uh, with, with this development, if I think if Texas had really considered themselves a contender uh, with a chance to get a playoff spot, I would think that they would have gone hard after Kendris Morales and that didn't happen. It would
1: have made a lot of sense.
0: So I think, I mean, to me, it it looks like a situation where it's like, where else are young players going to get opportunities in in Texas? And I think that, I mean, I I think that that's a, it's a definite possibility, but it also means that uh, they're sellers and, you know, maybe there's some other guys I I don't know offhand. Uh, I I can't think of anyone, but I think that's something to keep an eye out on. And uh, I mean, I, they, it leaves them no reason to be beholden, for instance, to Joe Saunders. Not that they should be anyway, but uh, I mean, who, who knows who else is uh, is also going to be uh, on the block for them. And uh, we do have some players on the way back for folks who are in the, in, uh, in the, with uh, setting their weekly lineups. As we discussed, uh, Matt Latos, assuming that he gets to his latest rehab start, uh, he will be back next weekend. It's a player for me, I'm, I'm not willing to throw in the back in there right away. I mean, I think his rehab assignment has kind of gone a little too choppy for me. I don't think he's going real deep into games. And I'm still not entirely sure. I mean, the, I guess he's he's completely past the knee injury that, that delayed the start of his season, but then the elbow discomfort popped up. It, Latos makes me nervous, at least early in the season. How, what say you?
1: It makes me a little bit nervous, too. I think he's a guy... I'm going to be a little reluctant to plug in on an, you know, an every game basis, at least right away. I think in a good matchup, I'm okay with it, but I'm going to be just a little bit cautious to start.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that, uh, it's, it's, I'm a little, I mean, (laughs) given the way the season has gone in general, um, after about two starts, Latos is going to walk off the mound and, and he's going to need Tommy John surgery. I mean, that's just the way the year <laughs> is gone for for Anderson in general. So, I mean, I, I would not uh, I would not be surprised. I would not uh, I would not be looking for Matt Latos to save my season. And it's not just because uh, I mean I'm speculating that he's going to need Tommy John surgery because there's no, I mean that's probably still a really low probability. I don't really know, but uh, I, I think. Given the concerns, I think you might have performance-wise in the short term. I mean, this is this is kind of like a in a mixed league, a mid, a middle of the rotation kind of guy for you, and uh, maybe once he gets past all these health issues, maybe he's a really strong guy for you in the second half, and then he can help you that way. But I just I, I hesitate for people to think that this guy is going to help to save your season right away. coming back also and this is I think this is going to present some really really interesting questions um, in St. Louis uh, is Matt Adams is, is close to ready return from string calf uh, it sounds like he is, it sounds like a very good possibility that he'll be ready to be activated when he's eligible which is this coming Friday uh, obviously we know that uh, that uh, their top prospect um, Oscar Tavares has been called up and uh, he's kind of you know he's been hit or miss performance wise I think he has a couple of home runs now uh, and and uh, or maybe just the one. I remember he homered in his first game, his second at bat. But I'm not sure if he has homered since. And they've kind of they've sat him here and there. Um, we, we talked about this. It sounds like it, we we thought he was up for good. But do you how do you see this shaking out as far as uh, as far as the rest of the roster goes? Now that Ad, uh, when Adams rejoins the club.
1: Yeah, we kind of knew like. That this was going to be a messy situation entering the year, just because the Cardinals have so many players and not enough spots to put them in. I mean, Adams was having you know a pretty solid year before he went on the DL. I think he's going to get pretty close to regular at-bats. It's hard to take him away from Alan Craig, so you're going to put him back in the outfield. Matt Holliday is pretty much assured of you know a lot of at-bats, and that just leaves a whole lot of question marks. I mean, Tavares is playing every day. Whereas you know John Jay and Bujo's and Grichuk aren't, but at the same time, it's a lot easier to send Tavares back down to the minors, especially since he hasn't been, you know, overwhelming. So, I mean, I think, I think, I think the probability play is that we're going to see Tavares sent back down at least for a little while. Um, but it's it's a little bit of a toss-up.
0: Yeah, and I think. Uh... That's, I mean, this is kind of what I, I tried to caution folks in. I mean, I, and I was totally on board with, I mean, no surprise if, if this call up is for good, I want to say that I don't, I don't know what uh, St. Louis's super two clock was going to look like or what his super two clock was going to look like for St. Louis. But I think that he was caught up just before that time. And I think, I mean, if, if there was any reason to justify uh, a demotion that they certainly could, I mean, you know, he is his slash line is, I mean, it's just, it's, he's hit just over 200. He's still, ha- yeah, yeah. It's just the one home run. Uh, and he has, I mean, he hasn't made a, a huge impact and, and, you know, there was, I mean, they had just shifted him into center field when, uh, uh, before they called him up. So I think that, I mean, center field is going to be the spot where they'd like to play him at least for the rest of this season. I, I think that they can come up with enough excuses uh, to send him down. And, and, and again, this is probably for a very short period In the end, this is probably the guy that helps them the most uh, give them an opportunity to to secure a playoff spot. And there's always going to be a possibility of a health issue, uh, again, that pops up. But it just, uh, I mean, unless he goes absolutely bonkers uh, in the first half of this week, um, I I think that, to me, it seems like they're eventually going to demote him. um, Which is, again, this is is just a, a very small bump in the road for Oscar Tavares. Uh, the final player that uh, is of note, I mean, uh, the good news, I think, is that there have not been a ton a, a ton of injuries here recently. Uh, just uh, the magnitude of a couple of them is really kind of concerning. But uh, Nick Swisher is due back from the disabled list. Uh, he's supposed to return as early as this Thursday. This is another player who's of disappointed for most of the season. I think he had a hyper-extended knee uh what kind of, I mean, Swisher, is last season, do you think, is that kind of the sign that this is just a player who's in decline uh, kind of in the early portion of the latter part of his career? Or uh, is it just, I mean, is this health-related? Is this? Uh, I think, to me, it seems more and more like health issues have, have hampered his performance in the last couple of seasons. Uh, but I haven't seen anything in his numbers that necessarily uh, don't alarm me either.
1: Yeah, I think it's, you know, a little bit of hell a little bit of age and more than a little bit of just bad luck. I think Swisher is still a pretty solid player. Um, and I, I think he's a lot better than the player that he's been at this point in the season. So I, I think he's going to come back and assuming that he's healthy and that his knee feels okay and everything, I think he's going to be, you know, a pretty, pretty decent player the rest of the way.
0: Yeah. I could certainly see that where this is, I mean, this is, uh, I think that that was a case, uh, perhaps like, a Although it hasn't hasn't turned out quite like I would have hoped, for instance, in Towers. Uh, but uh, I was kind of encouraged, actually, when the Padres had to put uh, Chase Headley on the DL for the second time. Because I was like, all right, well, he's been bothered by all these nagging injuries. This is a chance to just kind of get him right all the way through. And mm-hmm. that kind of turned out to be the case. He said he felt great coming back, uh, but it then kind of disappeared. It hasn't shown up in the performance since. Uh, but I mean, I think that there's a legit possibility that that is the case for Swisher. Um, He's not a player I'm certainly giving up on. I I know the Indians. I want to say that they have, they've slowly kind of developed some real roster flexibility. And the only concern I would have is if um, Swisher's a big part of the clubhouse. I know that. So I mean, there's uh, that's that factors into things for Terry Francona. Um, But uh, I mean, if performance-wise, he continues to hurt himself, you know, they've. I think. The way that Lonnie Chisholm has performed, for instance, it gives them an opportunity to maybe sit Swisher against certain uh, certain pitchers uh, or, or other reasons in Crete uh, with the with the arrangements that they can make in the outfield to really kind of limit his playing time. Do you think that that's a possibility?
1: I think it's a possibility, but it's not one I'm overly concerned about. I mean, Chisholm is playing first now, but I don't know. I mean, you look at who's playing DH, and, you know, Carlos Santana's back now, so this is a little off, but I mean, they're giving a lot of the bats to Mike Avila. They're giving a lot of the bats to Jason Giambi, so there's going to be some times where they're going to sit Swisher down, especially because as far as um, switch hitters go, he does have a relatively extreme platoon split, um, and the Indians are, you know, into a lot of that sort of stuff, but I do think he's going to see plenty of the bats. I think the DH spot right now is kind of wide open. They're going to be able to play him at first. Um, you know, and shift Chisenhall over to third, you know, puts Santana behind the plate, that sort of thing. I think there, there's there's ways that they're going to keep his bat in the lineup, although it's not going to be an every every day kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I think, uh, I mean, it, it's it's definitely too soon to give up on Swisher. I do think that there's uh, it's still so potential. I think even the, to to you know to approach the 20 home runs that we've seen him put up in the past couple of years, um, and uh, I mean, fingers crossed except for the folks in my league who have Swisher. I kind of hope he sucks just for them. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're kind of closing in on the end here. We're going to get into just uh, before we go, we always love to on the Sunday night podcast um, uh, for Derek, you may not be familiar. We always like to get into uh, just picking out a couple of uh, spot start or I'm sorry, two start pitchers who really uh, pique our interests either for the week or uh Pitchers we might think uh, we want to stay away from for the two star week, or that concern us. Uh, so, uh, I think you've had an opportunity to survey them. Uh, but if you're not ready, I totally understand. But I'd like you to give a give a crack at it here and tell me which which of these pitchers, uh, first of all, uh, is there any of these pitchers with uh, with the two turns that kind of concerns you entering the week?
1: Um, in terms of like elite guys, like I don't think. Um, Justin Verlander is necessarily in a great spot this week. He's going into U.S. Cellular and he's getting a Twins offense that we talked about is, you know, surprisingly pretty good. Um, but, a, but a guy I like in the American League, I think, is David Price. He's got two great matchups against Seattle and against Houston. Um, I think he matches up really well against them. And I think in the National League, there's a ton of, um, you know, really good looking two-star guys. I think, uh, marco estrada i think he looks pretty solid i think um edwin jackson even maybe uh francisco lariano i think there's a lot of those kind of like mid-tier guys in the national league that have a couple of solid starts on the slate uh
0: that's interesting it's and uh i will say um um i think that i really like the price call i will i will tell you that uh that Colette will be mighty upset with you for choosing a left-hander going up against Houston, because as he likes to tell us, Houston murders Houston, left-handers. Oh, it's yeah, Houston certain- is very right-handed and yeah.
1: they've kind of got <laughs> sneaky good lately. Yes, but Seattle's very left-handed, so Price yes. sets up really well against them.
0: Yeah, I think that he, that that matchup is if uh, it sets up where he could totally dominate them and then just kind of tread water against Houston, and it could that's, turn out to be yeah, a good that's week. Kind of, I'm thinking. Yeah, and I think uh, yeah, at the same time, I mean, what, Price for, for the. For all the, the impact of the results this season on his ERA, I mean, I want to say, I'm going to have to look this up. His, isn't his walk rate like walks per nine is like under one? Like under one. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, I mean, Houston has made some strides as far as its ability to draw some base on ball, especially now that they caught up George Springer. So, I mean, it's, I think it's, yeah, I think it's considering. Uh, Sooner or later, here I think I feel like Price is going to go on a stretch where he's just going to dominate for like two months in a row, and maybe I mean, maybe this is the start of it. But I think it's sooner or later it's coming, and and this could be a situation just where I mean uh, all the, you know, some of the, the trade speculation. I mean, I'm sure that that's that has to start to, has to be starting to build, and maybe that's something that kind of is getting in his head. Uh, but I mean, this is a pitcher with the elite skills that we've seen at this point. I think I mean he's he should have a fantastic finish to the season. Pitcher who does—it's interesting. To, I, I did want to say—it's uh, uh, interesting you point out that Liriano. I'm a little concerned about this, the the two start week for Liriano simply because—and I don't know how Miami performs against left-handers, but they've been phenomenal at home. And uh, the Cubs just seem to have kind of had the—I the, want to say that they've had uh, the Pirates' number this year, and they've—they've uh, they've actually hit left-handed pitchers quite well this season. And that makes me a little nervous about Liriano because I thought he was starting to kind of turn things around. So this could be an interesting week. I think if I think if if Liriano does have a really good week, I think his owner should be really encouraged because uh,
1: yeah, I'm a Liriano fan, and I am as Chicago well. and Miami can get very right-handed, um, which can hurt him because he does have a pretty extreme platoon split. But I mean, I think overall they're both below average offenses, and if you're not going to start Francisco Liriano. When he has a two-start week against these two offenses, like what are you waiting for? Like why do you have him on your team? So
0: yeah, absolutely. I think uh, by any means, unless you're playing in an eight-team mixed league, uh, I guess uh, uh, there's really no reason to sit Liriano in this week, uh, unless or maybe you have. all these other guys like Doug Fister, Madison Bumgarner, Steven Strasburg, et cetera, et cetera, and you're just loaded with pitching because you had the most awesome keeper roster ever. In which case, we bow down <laughs> to you and you don't even have to listen to us. So I think it's I think it's an excellent point. I am a Liriano fan also and I am I am hoping for better things. I think a big uh, I think what's most encouraging so far is that he's not injured because it's like he's due for one, isn't he? So <laughs> bite
1: your tongue. Yes, yes, and,
0: and uh, I'm totally rooting for the guy. I think he's. I think he's done a phenomenal job to turn everything around. I think a uh, big thing uh, Pittsburgh getting him to throw from a higher arm slot, a little bit, uh, to have a bit of a higher release point. I think has helped him health wise as well, uh, or at least to delay injury by another year. So uh, <laughs> we thank I want to thank Derek Hardy very much, special guest for joining us this week. And uh, why don't you tell everyone once again where they can find uh, all your awesome work?
1: Um, Yeah, follow me on Twitter, at Derek Hardy. Uh, Feel free to ask me any questions, especially daily related. Um, And then follow my daily stuff over at Fantasy Insiders.
0: Yes, Uh, and he is a former labor champion. Didn't you win labor in your first season in labor? Yes,
1: I did. And And then... I haven't been able to get back. I finished third the past couple years and now I'm trying to trying to get another title under my belt.
0: Details details, my friend you have one <laughs> the flag flies forever as they say and that's I mean it's, oh, yes. it was phenomenal performance, a uh, uh, way to step in and to immediately and it was the NL NL labor, correct yeah yes and didn't you have a championship ring made for after that moment?
1: <laughs> I did. Rick Wolf and Glenn Colton, my first year, had these championship rings—these big, ridiculous, ostentatious rings that they, you know, bought themselves for when they won their their first labor championship. And I was like, "That's the coolest thing ever." <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I mean, it's a total chick magnet. I mean, you go out to a bar wearing this thing, and they're just all over you.
0: Oh yes, I, and especially, it's probably uh, they probably are like totally clinging to you after you explain what it's for.
1: Yeah, I mean they become even more enthused. Literally like I don't know, is this a family show? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I want to say here. So I think I'm just going to I'm going to end it right there.
0: Sounds like a good idea. I was starting to get a little nervous. I was I was beginning to sweat in my faux leather chair. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you very much, Derek. Fantastic stuff. Uh, I wouldn't expect anything less, uh, and uh, we really appreciate you joining us for this podcast. Uh, and yeah, thanks uh, a lot for having me. Yes, excellent stuff, and uh, we look forward to speaking again. As always, uh, for the listeners out there, tweet us questions, uh, tweet or uh, comment on the the article post. We'd be happy to take your requests. Uh, and we look forward to commenting on those in the future. Thank you very much, and uh, we look forward to seeing you. Until next time, uh, this was episode number 126 of The Sleeper and the Bust.